Wealth management is not just for the wealthy. Everyone is entitled to their best retirement possible. Welcome to The Retirement Engineer with Jim Cruzan, your path to a bigger, bolder retirement. Brought to you by Caden Wealth Management, a firm that specializes in serving the mobility technology industry. In this podcast, we help you maximize your resources and engineer your best retirement through a process-driven approach so you can get the little things right. Drawing from years of expertise, Jim and his guests will simplify complex wealth management strategies and explore actionable ideas to help you protect your hard-earned wealth and take control of your future. Now, on to the show. Did you know the average cost of college in the United States is a staggering $35,551 per student per year? Okay, that includes books, supplies, and daily living expenses. Okay, but it's still a hefty price tag that can leave many parents and students feeling overwhelmed. Fear not. In this episode, we'll explore an intriguing tool that can help you save for education expenses while staying true to your retirement savings. Get ready to dive into the world of 529 plans and discover how they can be a game changer when it comes to funding your child's education. I'm Patrice Sikora with your host, Jim Cruzan. And Jim, let's start from the basics. What is a 529 plan? And do you need a financial advisor to open one? Well, first off, it's good seeing you. Second, uh, the uh, 529 in its simplest definition, it's a uh, qualified tuition program. It's an account that you can open, put money in to hopefully help offset college education costs in the future. Now, you mentioned a moment ago that the average cost all in of a a year at college is over $35,000. That's today. Mm -hmm. If we have a newborn who's not going off to college for 18 years, imagine what that one-year cost is down the road, assuming that we just have normal inflation. Now, historically, it's changed a bit the last three years, but historically, education costs have been typically running at a multiple of normal uh, economic cost. So you're looking at five, six percent annual cost of living increases. We're hoping those are are, are moderating. Uh, we're beginning to see that, but just the same, that cost could be two, three x by the time you actually get to sending your child off to school. And and how does one do that and do that at the same time they're also trying to prepare for retirement? Right. Uh, it becomes very, very difficult. So these programs allow parents to either spend money today to lock in tuition cost or put money away in a an account that hopefully can grow over time and satisfy some of these uh, these these costs. Um, there are two types of 529 programs uh, that exist. There's the uh, prepaid tuition plan, and that's exactly as it sounds. It's a program sponsored by a state where you would pay a cost today, which the state would compute as an average cost of a uh, an education today, and you would buy in at that current price. Then 
down the road, when the uh, child goes to school, they would have that year of college at whatever the current cost is paid for. But see, the Uh, questions, the questions, huge questions. What if the kid doesn't want to go there? (laughs) Yeah, there there are some shortfalls. Uh, (laughs) One of the first shortfalls is, is, is it isn't cheap. Um, I can only speak for the state of Michigan. And right now, the uh, buy-in for a credit hour is something like $612, which means for a full year, it's about $18,360 today for one year of tuition. And I said tuition. And we were talking about 35,000 as being all in, but there are a lot of other costs and expenditures involved in that. This is strictly tuition. So at best, you're covering somewhat half the cost. Wow. Uh, Then the other issue is the program only works if there's a presumption that the child is going to attend a a public college um, within the state. Um, if the child were to go to a private school, the benefits derived are significantly less. If the child elects to go to a public school out of state, uh, the benefits are significantly reduced as well. And again, it's state-based, so it's hard for me to comment, but I've seen penalties be as much as uh, the parents simply get back what they put in. Ooh. So imagine putting $18,000 away today and then 18 years from now getting back essentially the no. same. Uh, in some cases, um, you're buying in at this average price set by the state. And then uh, when you are using it for its intended purpose, because you're going to school elsewhere or not going to school or whatever the case is, Uh, What some states will do is give you back the absolute lowest current tuition within the state. So uh, you might find that there's a big delta there. Yeah. Now, uh, there's also um, an issue with the premium you pay. And what I mean by that is if you looked at the state of Michigan today and looked at the average cost of a one-year tuition in in a state um, university, you'll find that this eighteen thousand three hundred and sixty dollar buy-in is a twenty to thirty percent premium over what that average cost is. So the state is kind of buffering some of their expenses by having a slightly higher buy-in. Now you know over eighteen years mm-hmm. with some imputed inflation, it might still be a good deal but you're certainly paying more today for that luxury of locking it in than what the true cost would be right. today. And then it is quite restrictive if the child were to go elsewhere. Now, uh, there are some ways to get the money out with uh, without penalty. Um, if the child, for example, were to go to a military school, a government military school, um, there are ways to get credit and, and get that money back out. Um, other distributions uh, can be made, and they're a bit more flexible uh, with the other type of 529, but the prepaid program is pretty rigid, pretty locked in, yeah. doesn't provide a lot of flexibility. 
The second program that is, is used quite often is a, a college savings plan. Uh, when people talk about 529s, uh, they're usually talking about the college savings plan. And the best way to explain what that looks like from a, a, a tax functionality point of view, it's very similar. Consider it a, an educational Roth 401k. So think of it this way. You're putting the money in after tax. It's accumulating tax-free. And then when you pull it out for education purposes, it's coming out also tax-free, just like a 401k Roth would do. And like a 401k, a 529 would have its separate, unique set of investments, a menu of opportunity, so to speak. And you could pick amongst the uh, fund choices, typically within that menu, you could elect a, a pre-formed uh, portfolio. Uh, there would be a, a moderate or an aggressive or a conservative portfolio that you could just check off and it would be built uh, around an allocation of the fund choices that would be available. Um, and typically you can also pick kind of a, an age-based or matriculation-based program. Uh, simply put, it's a portfolio that's already pre-constructed, a portfolio that would automatically change over time. And the intent is for the program to be structured more aggressively to offer more growth opportunity when the child is young and as the child gets older and we get closer and closer to needing the money for education purposes, the account automatically morphs into a portfolio that looks a whole lot less aggressive, looks a whole lot more conservative. So you, you eliminate the risk of being very, very, very aggressive just before you need the money. Got it. Got it. I had a, uh, I, I had a client who he was a new client to the firm and we were bringing in a number of, uh, of accounts and he had a, uh, a 529 for his son, uh, who was a senior in high school. And, uh, this was uh, just during and shortly after uh, the financial crisis in 2008 and 2009. And when we looked at the balance in the 529, it was about 40% less than it was uh, about a year or so before. Mm. So imagine graduating from high school, somewhat needing some of this money and realizing that the resources you thought you had have been now severely compromised. In his case, he had plenty of money, and as it turned out, his 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 son finished college via uh, an ROTC program, and then went into the uh, the military, and is quite successful today. Uh, but it, it would have been devastating uh, for a family whose child didn't choose that career path. Right. Right. So having a, a plan that you don't have to think about. Uh, a plan that's automatically making those adjustments uh, can certainly provide some peace of mind as opposed to thinking, oh yeah, I got this thing. I got to go in here and make some adjustments and see what that looks like. Uh, people rarely do that with their 401k, 
uh, I doubt that they'll even go so far as to consider doing that with 529. Why would uh, a parent or a grandparent or whoever is going for the plan choose the prepaid versus the the uh, the college savings? To me, the college savings sounds like it's more flexible. It, it's more realistic. It's it's certainly more flexible, and we'll get into that in a little bit. It's. Uh, you know, there's also you're you're trading the the known somewhat to the unknown. Uh, we don't know what the values will grow to in a college savings plan. We have some certainty that we'll have the tuition covered if we meet the criteria. You know, they stay in state, etc. Uh, I've never considered um, uh, opening up a uh, prepaid tuition plan because. Uh, Families tend to be a bit more portable. Mm-hmm. Uh, they tend to move around. Uh, the idea that you're going to live and work and die within 30 miles of where you were born and your kids are going to do the same thing, uh, that just isn't the way it is these days. So having a bit more portability. Um, we've had situations uh, where clients have bought a prepaid tuition plan in the hopes of covering the tuition component of the education cost, and then they've opened up a, a college savings plan to and funding that on a regular basis to cover room and board and all the other expenses that creep up. And depending on the school, depending on the location, you might find uh, that all the other cost outside of just pure tuition and fees is actually a greater expense than the tuition and fees alone. So by having the combination, uh, you've got the tuition locked in that's somewhat guaranteed, and then you've got the variable component as well. It's it's not unlike, and I'm not a super big fan of this, but it's not unlike somebody who, as a retirement planning, might elect to put money in a an annuity that would then immediately start to draw a guaranteed source of income Hmm. and have money in an IRA uh, that would provide uh, potentially greater growth and and certainly uh, greater legacy and inheritance opportunity. Uh, But it's also prone to a lot of ebbs and flows with respect to the market. So that combination might be just better for an individual's risk tolerance or psyche. Do you have to have a financial advisor to open up a 529? Uh, you do not. Uh, you can you can open very easily. You can open them directly through uh, your state of residence. Um, many advisors have access to 529s. Um, in our practice, we, we've always uh, felt that higher education was important, whether it's college or an apprenticeship program or some other program, which by the way, can be covered by the college savings plan. Hopefully we'll get into that as well. Uh, So uh, at our firm, we've always waved off on any fees, commissions, any of those types of things. So effectively uh, the cost to open an advisor-based program versus a state of Michigan program or some in-state program would essentially, to a large degree, be identical. There wouldn't be uh, a huge plus or minus. Uh, having an advisor that you're working with, a trusted advisor, who can help facilitate uh, whether it's opening the plan at a state level or opening a, a advisor-based plan 
hopefully with a wave off on fees, uh, can certainly provide quite a bit of benefit because they'll be able to assist in terms of asset allocation and 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 discussing the pros and cons of structuring the account. Either let's pick and choose funds, let's look at a preset portfolio, let's look at the age-based program and the benefits and cons of, of each. Mm-hmm. All right. Now, you were going to uh, talk about qualified expenses. You said, we'll get into that. Let's get into that now. What are qualified expenses under these plans? And right. do, they vary, do they vary from the different types of plans, the prepaid versus the savings? Right. So with prepaid, it's, it's essentially tuition and, and, uh, and tuition-based fees. That's it. Uh, okay. and, and it's really quite re- restrictive. And, and to a large degree, it's, it's, it's college. Uh, when we look at the college savings plan, which is the more flexible, think of that as the, the Roth. Roth, exactly. <laughs> um, there have been some changes in terms of what you can spend this on. Now you, you can spend it on obviously tuition. You can spend it on um, other uh, expendi- uh, expenditures. We'll go through that list in a second. But you can also spend up to $10,000 a year, meaning you can take a distribution off the 529 up to $10,000 a year per account um, for K through 12 education. Oh my. Yeah. So you send a child to a parochial school, you are involved in certain um, programs, uh, maybe summer school, maybe a special AP program that's tuition based. Uh, you can pull money out of a, a 529 uh, to satisfy those expenses. Uh, also, with a 529, you can pull money out uh, and use it to cover uh, things such as uh, trade programs and apprenticeship programs, as long as they're tuition-based, right? So if you're uh, paying a fee, a tuition, to be taught HVAC or plumbing or, or any of the other skilled trades, uh, more than likely, those would be qualified expenses. But when we talk about a, a child going off to college, the general expenses that we see are clearly tuition and fees. I don't think there's a huge amount of explanation needed there. <laughs> Room and board, uh, that would be the cost to have a child uh, in a dorm. Uh, it can also cover cost of uh, off-campus housing. Uh, so uh, if you're in a if there's cost involved in um, you're you're in some society living in a house, you can cover that off campus. There's many um, university sponsored housing programs that are not dorm related um, that would cover those living expenses as well. Um, books, supplies, equipment. Uh, it covers technology now, and that's been broadened out. So if you need a a laptop uh, for for school. If you uh, if you need another device for a you know hotspot or something, I suppose all those things would be covered under under technology. Um, if your child uh, is is special needs, and there were some special needs required to attend school uh, because of the physicality of it, uh, those things would be covered. If the child isn't college bound, but there are other programs of assistance. Um, this is a, a little wonky, but you can pull 
up to fifteen thousand dollars a year out of a 529 for that particular child and move it into an able account a b l e uh, which is a savings type account used to support children that are special needs Um, now we've got to be careful with that uh, because uh, if your child is special needs more than likely they're getting assistance through medicaid and medicaid is notorious for having clawbacks so if there's money sitting inside a 529 medicaid will never be able to claw that money back but if there's money ending balance in an able account this would be the case in the event that a child passed away medicaid would certainly have the ability to reach in and and hold those assets to offset the expenditures that they had so if we're using 529 to support special needs via an able account it makes far more sense to move over journal over periodically just the amount that you're expecting to spend you really don't want to keep a sizable balance in that able account for the reasons i mentioned so beyond that there's uh as i said apprenticeship programs etc and i know uh, and i'm probably going to date this podcast and i don't mean to but there's a, a lot of talk today about student loans and and paying back student loans and and who needs to and perhaps who doesn't well with a with a, a 529 uh you have the ability to pull up to ten thousand dollars out and use that as a student loan repayment and that's new uh that that's only uh that adaptation has only been available the last couple of years so there's quite a bit of flexibility from the standpoint of uh, being able to use one of these things for um for just about anything one would need to from a college expense perspective now is the account in the name of an individual child can it be used for other children or does it have to be used for that individual so the account is is quite portable meaning uh that the the owner of the account has the ability to move monies um from one child account uh, the child is referred to as the beneficiary from a beneficiary account to another account that would be established let's say for another beneficiary uh, because of some changes that have just recently happened with regard to additional portability uh, and I, I think we'll get into this in a second it it certainly seems to be more preferable to open individual accounts mm-hmm. for each individual child so if uh, a parent had two children, uh, more than likely you'd want to own uh, or open, I should say, two separate 529s. But it's the parents who own the account. Can be, doesn't need to be. <laughs> Any Anybody can own, uh, open a 529 for uh, anybody else. We have parents who open them. Um, we have grandparents who will open them. Uh, and, uh, there are cases where we have clients who, uh, have nieces and nephews and they've opened 529s, uh, on behalf of those children as well. Uh, depending on who owns the account, who opened the account, um, there are uh, a few subtleties uh, that we have to consider with respect to financial aid. At some point, 
uh, when you send your child off to school, you undoubtedly will fill out the FAFSA form, which is the free application for federal student aid. And the application is the only thing that's free, (laughs) believe me. (laughs) Right. Um, So the way that works is you fill out all the information, you provide information on income and those types of things. They're also interested in household assets, children's assets, et cetera. And then there's a determination, a calculation uh, as to what uh, amount of financial aid would be available. And that might be available from a variety of sources. There might be some scholarship programs. It might be some type of a, uh, a student loan package as well. But depending on assets and location of those assets, those assets may, in fact, uh, knock down or offset the amount of financial aid that a child may have the ability to obtain. Uh, So for example, if a child owns assets in their own name, the FAFSA calculation will generally count 20% of those assets as being available for the child's education. So certainly that reduces the amount of financial aid or financial support that might be available. If there's a 529 that's owned by the parent on behalf of the child, there's actually a small amount of that value that also may negate the amount of money that's available for student loans. That amount is really small. It's a 5.64%. So 5.64% of a balance in a 529 owned by a parent may uh, reduce the amount of uh, financial aid that would be uh, available for the child. There are other factors involved as well, like uh, parental household income. And depending on parental household income, uh, there might not be a a negation at all. Uh, So uh, the fact that the household might have a low household income uh, that would still, regardless of whether there was a 529 or not, uh, may still afford uh, the full complement of, of financial aid. The reason I mention that is with FAFSA, you you don't students are not required to, to to manually report cash support. So if they have a grandparent out there who's putting money away, um, they don't have to disclose that. So as a result. A 529 that's owned by a grandparent for the benefit of the child doesn't even come into consideration when filling out FAFSA and would not in any way reduce the amount of financial aid that a child might have available. So it's really, really interesting and can be, on the fringes anyway, impactful Mm -hmm. to have an account registered that way. Are there any other... Are there downsides to a 529 limitation to a 520? We've gone through several of them, but yeah. are there any additional ones that you want to make sure? Well, the, the biggest one is, you know, this is an education account. So what happens if you use it for something other than education? Right. Uh, that's subject to a 10% penalty. Uh, that is the uh, distribution would be. And to the extent that you're distributing gains, uh, gains would then be taxable. Remember, the account, like a Roth, you're putting it in with after-tax dollars. So when you pull it out, the only tax is on the gain. 
So if you're using it for education, it's tax-free. If you're using it for something other than education, the gains are taxable and there's a penalty. Uh, but the account's really quite portable, as I, I, I alluded. Um, there's something called a, a qualified family member. And essentially, if you own the account, you can move balances around amongst Quite a number of family members, you know, the the beneficiaries, siblings, nieces and nephews, um, step siblings, um, parents. So there's a lot of opportunity to get monies that are in a 529 to a student who might have a need to take a distribution for education purposes. Um, there's also some flexibility when you do pull money out for non-education spend. Um, some programs uh, provide flexibility to the extent of whose um, taxpayer ID is going to be used with respect to the gain. Is it the parent who owns the account or is it the student who's the beneficiary? So if if Johnny wants to take money out of his 529 to buy a Volkswagen microbus and an electric guitar, you know, maybe Johnny should pay the tax on that at Johnny's tax rate. Right? So there's some opportunity there to to structure that. There's one other thing that's really unique uh, about 529 and it uh, allows advisors to kind of look beyond the scope of this is an account for education purposes. Um, under federal bankruptcy code 541B, now I know everybody's aware of this. I won't go into detail about the bankruptcy code 541B, but what's really interesting about it is 529s are excluded from bankruptcies of estates, etc. So if you forced into a bankruptcy, they can't get at the money sitting in a 529. That's interesting. Let me give you an example. There's a very prominent group of physicians that run a, uh, they're all OBGYNs. And uh, years ago, they decided to disclose to their clientele that they were no longer carrying malpractice insurance because it's just ridiculously expensive and it's driven so many excellent physicians just out of the industry, people retiring way too early because it just, it, it makes the financials of running a practice uh, just mm -hmm. ridiculously difficult. And many of those doctors, as they're accumulating wealth, for retirement would super fund 529 accounts. And because they can have, they're the owner, they control the account, they can have 529s for their children, they can set them up for their nieces and nephews. And here's the thing, you can put a lot of money into a 529. You can put on an annual basis up to 17,000 a year, which is the annual gift limit you can put in one fell swoop $85,000 in day one, which is essentially the first five years of right. payments right away. And there's really, to a large degree, no restriction 
as to how much money winds up in a 529. Um, if you look at state code, uh, the average uh, max is is well above 300,000. I think the state of Pennsylvania is is something in the order of $516,000 can sit in an individual uh, 529. I think North Carolina is is very similar to that. So imagine having multiple 529s each sitting with half a million dollars at some point and and the only penalty is 10% on the back end and uh, you've had years and years of compounded deferred growth. The deferred growth alone will more than make up for the 10% penalty. And then the distribution is taxable on the gain. Seems like it's a fairly good way to uh, protect uh, assets against creditors. So I'm not saying that everybody should run out and do this, but if you have a profession uh, that is prone to suits, uh, and liability, it, it certainly might be a way uh, to use something like this completely outside of what one would normally consider the purpose of a, of a 529. All right. Um, I only have two more questions, one of which is, can you open more than one 529 for someone? Same individual? You, you can. A, uh, an individual, a child can have you know, multiple five, 529s. Uh, each individual who's the owner of the account would be restricted in terms of funding to the gift limit. But as an example, if if a parent opened the 529 for their child and subsequently a grandparent opened a 529 for the same child, who's now their grandchild, uh, the granddad would be restricted to putting 17000 a year away or less. And the parent would uh, would have the same uh, provisos. Yes. Uh, you can have multiple accounts. All right. And what happens if you don't use it all? Yeah. Well, uh, it's, it's somewhat flexible. As <laughs> I said, we have the ability to change the beneficiaries. You know, we can move it from one child to another. We have two children. Let's say right. one goes to mm -hmm. military school and, or has a full, full ride scholarship. Uh, the other one might use the money more. You can move the money from one one account to another. Uh, you can move it to grandchildren. You can move it to nieces and nephews. So to a large degree, if the intent was, hey, the money was saved and I was hoping to be able to use it for college education, um, you probably could find a deserving family member who can use that money. Um, the other thing uh, that you can do with it, and this is new, and it really goes into effect actually next year, 2024, and it uh, came about as a result of some legislation the end of last year. Now, and this is also the reason I'm suggesting that we open up individual 529s. Now, if we get to a point where a 529 has been opened for 15 years, mm -hmm. so think of a newborn, now we're uh, we have a 15 year old or we have somebody who's already completed college expenditures that are in their early twenties. You can now move 35 up to $35,000 out of a 529 into a Roth IRA uh, for the beneficiary. Now uh, the 35,000 uh, would be treated 
as uh, as annual contributions. So as an example, if the annual contribution rate right now is seven thousand a year max, uh, it would take about five years mm-hmm. to move that thirty five thousand over. And uh, every contribution you made as a result of moving it out of a five twenty nine, would be considered that year's contribution. So a, a child wouldn't be able to, in the case, fund a Roth for themselves in addition to this money that's being moved over. But it's a great way of getting money into a tax-free account for a very young adult who then oh, has right. many, many decades of hopefully growth. really good compounded growth. Absolutely. That works uh, uh, really very well. Uh, in addition to that, as I said before, the uh, penalty to pull money out is 10% and taxation on the gain. So if you've been compounding this for 20 some years and decided you want to use it for something else, you certainly could, um, which is really helpful. Um, this is by far um, the best tool out there to put money away for a um, a, a college uh, college education program. Uh, it it is vastly superior to some of the other programs that are available. Um, one such program is called the Coverdale uh, IRA. It's been out for a number of years. And uh, uh, there are some people who use it. We've uh, rarely used it in, in our practice. Uh, but right off the bat, there's some restrictions. Um, there's an income restriction. You, know, you can't have household income uh, as a single person exceeding 110000 or as a couple, 220000 and openness. So it's really available for folks who have uh, lower in, in, in income uh, cash flow issues. 529, you can open it anytime, no restriction no requirement in terms of income. Uh, with the covered Dale, you can only put $2,000 a year away. And we've already talked about the amount of money you can pump into a 529, vastly superior. Um, with a covered Dale IRA, you can only fund this until the child or the beneficiary is, is 18. That's it. I uh, can't fund it when they're beyond 18. Uh, with a 529, you know, I, I'm 64. I could open up a 529 for myself right now and start funding it if I wanted to. Um, the other thing is the Coverdale is a lot like an IRA. It's a Coverdale IRA. So think of that as a, an account you're opening and it's self-directed. So you know, you could own anything you wanted to. If you wanted to buy shares of Microsoft, you could do that. Whereas you know, the 529 is more like a 401k. There's usually a menu of, of opportunity uh, choices available. Spending is the same for tuition. Uh, in the case of Coverdale, you can spend money for college tuition. You can spend money for uh, K through 12 tuition, and that's the same for 529. Uh, there's a little bit of a subtle difference in, in terms of uh, expenses. Uh, as we talked about a moment ago with 529, uh, you can cover tuition and college expenses. Uh, in the case of K through 12, from a 529, you can only cover tuition. Okay. In a Coverdale, you can cover both. But again, the big problem with Coverdale is you can only put $2,000 a year away. Yeah. And a lot of the private K through 12 schools 
are certainly well in excess of 2000 a year tuition. Um, in the case of Coverdale, distributions are um, tax-free. In the case of uh, 529, they're tax-free as well. And, and also, and we really didn't touch on this, there may be a little bit of a tax benefit in 529 that isn't available in Coverdale at the state level. Uh, some states, not all, uh, provide either uh, deductibility of contributions going into a 529 at the state level, or in some cases, they offer a tax credit. So uh, many states offer some tax relief if you, the owner, is funding a 529 in a state of residence. All right. So there's some gamesmanship. You know, if you're funding things um, for grandchildren, let's say, uh, who reside out of state, do you use the state program that you live in or the state program that they live in? Uh, 529 is a it's based on federal law. So the distributions, unlike the tuition plan, have no bearing on where the child goes to school. So we're covering tuition, fees, et cetera, whether the child is in-state, out-of-state, public or private. So when we consider a tuition-based program against a college savings program, uh, in terms of totality, uh, the college savings program certainly offers a whole lot more flexibility. Jim, again, a great discussion. Thank you very much. So listeners, in this episode, we did jump into the world of 529 plans and we discussed how they can be a game changer when it comes to saving for your child's education. We learned that a 529 plan is a special savings tool designed specifically for education expenses, offering some tax advantages and flexible use of funds. We also discussed qualified education expenses, which include things like tuition, room and board, books, but even student loan repayments. And hey, we even tackled some common questions like, how 529 plans compared to other savings options, and whether grandparents can contribute. Now, armed with this knowledge, you are ready to make some smart choices in your child education while also remaining loyal to your retirement savings. It's a win-win. Do it. Please be sure to subscribe to the Retirement Engineer Podcast, too, so you don't miss future episodes. And of course, follow at Caden Wealth on social. Let us know what you think in the comments. Please share topics you'd like us to discuss and follow and share that will help this small show make a bigger impact. Thank you for tuning in to another episode of The Retirement Engineer. Thank you for listening to The Retirement Engineer with Jim Cruzan. Click the follow button to be notified when new episodes become available. Visit our website at www.cadenwealth.com or give us a call at 800 800- 638-6900. The information covered and posted represents the views and opinions of Jim Cruzan and this episode's guests, not necessarily those of Caden Wealth Management. The content has been made available for informational and educational purposes only. The content is not intended to be a substitute for professional investing advice. Always seek the advice of your financial advisor or other qualified financial service provider with any questions you may have regarding your investment planning.